Welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. Valley Point Church is a faith community located in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. Our mission is pointing people to real relationships and real significance. Enjoy and thanks for listening. Happy Labor Day weekend and it's great to see you at Valley Point. I think this is always kind of an interesting weekend because we sit between summer and the launch of everything that is new. And one of the things that makes it unique is we tend to approach this particular weekend with a lot of emotion. So on one side, there's summer and it's over. It's come to an end and that makes us kind of sad. But then on the other side, there's a new season out in front of us and that sometimes energizes us and we look forward to what is ahead But still, summer is over, and that makes us sad. So here's what I would encourage you to do. Have a good cry today, okay? (laughs) Do that. Enjoy your day off tomorrow. Eat some good food, and then fully embrace the season that is in front of us, and I think that's something that you'll do. That's my advice on Labor Day weekend, all right? So here's what I want to do with my time today. I basically just want to have a heart-to-heart conversation with you, just to talk your pastor to you. And I want you to imagine that we're in a casual setting, perhaps a coffee shop, and we're relaxed. You've got your cup of coffee. I've got mine, right? So take a sip. Everybody ready? Here we go. Thank you. And we're just having a nice conversation. And the topic is this. What I wish older Christians or older followers of Christ had shared with me and forced me to listen. So these are things that they probably have shared at some point. I know they have with me, but if you're anything like me, you probably haven't listened well. So I just began to think, here's what at this particular stage in my life I wished Followers of Jesus had shared with me and then just forced me to listen. Like, you write this down, get ready for this because it will happen in your life. So we're here today to talk about what I wish older Christ followers had shared with me and forced me to listen. I don't know if that's something that you've ever thought about, but approximately three or four weeks ago, I kind of sat down and just began to write down, here's what I wish someone had told me that I would be able to walk through at this stage of my life, like if they just forced me to listen and get ready for this. And so I put a list together, and I came up with several different items. I pared that down to six. And this is what I want to share today, because I don't have time to share more. So there's a lot more than this, but I want to share with you these six items. Again, what I wish older Christ followers had shared with me and forced me to listen. So I'm 46 years old, and uh, that means I'm in the middle stage of life. And I would say to you that I have some life experience. I have a little bit. But yet I feel it's very limited, very limited. And perhaps you've heard this phrase, you don't know what you don't know. And I've had people share that with me before, and that's true. I think it's true for all of us. We don't know what we don't know, but there's a part of me that would like to know 
what I don't know, and I imagine you feel the same way. And so let me say this. If you are in the room and you are under 30, so it's our middle school students, our high school students, college students, and young adults. If you're here, and we have a good group of people under 30 at Valley Point. If you're here and under 30, you have a lot of life out in front of you which is wonderful and exciting and energizing, just a ton of life out in front of you. I would encourage you to take all of this information today and to listen to it from the perspective of someone who's a little bit older than you and listen with an open heart and with an open mind. All right, if you're here and you're under 55, you will probably identify with a lot of these statements that I'm going to share with you. And so I would encourage you to enjoy the tension of what I'm going to share. Now, if you're here and you're over 55 and you've been chasing Jesus with your life, congratulations, you are the experts today. And so you get to sit here and elbow the people next to you and say, see, I told you, I've been saying this stuff forever and nobody would listen to me. And so take out your phone, check your email, play Pokemon, you have my full permission to kind of check out for a little bit, all right? Because again, you're the experts here. Actually, what I would wish for you is that you would engage and listen because you have so much to offer all of the other age groups. And there is something that you can do to encourage and to champion the cause of Christ. And so I would encourage you to engage, even if you sense that you're an expert. So here we go. Six things I wish older followers of Jesus had shared with me and forced me to listen. And today's going to be a bit different than what I normally do. Normally, I like to dive into one paragraph of Scripture and just kind of tease that out and unpack that and look at context and history And I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to share a ton of verses with you. So get a pen or some type of writing utensil. Write these verses down because I think it will be helpful for you in the weeks to come. So here we go. Six things I wish older followers of Jesus had shared with me and forced me to listen. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Number one, life moves shockingly fast. And not just fast but shockingly fast. That 35 to 45 range for me went just like that. And I look back on that, it's like a blur. Like, where did those years go? That's 10 years. Where did that go? And how did that happen so fast? And now that I'm 46, I'm actually closer to 50 than what I am 40, and that's kind of alarming to me. And I just have this awareness that life is moving shockingly fast. For me, for my kids, I have some older kids now who are making very important life decisions, things that are going to affect them for the rest of their lives. And sometimes that's fun to help them think through that and to watch as they make their own choices, and you got to release them to do that. Sometimes that's fun to do. There are other times where it is absolutely terrifying. And you understand, and they really don't, that life is moving shockingly fast. Also, my parents, Tanya's parents, 
Some of them are 70 now, and others are quickly approaching that. And so they're dealing with some health challenges that they have never experienced before. And so this is brand new territory for us. And it kind of makes you unsettled and unsure. And all of a sudden, you look to those people who have been a bedrock in your life for years. And you understand they're not going to be around forever. And life is moving shockingly fast. So I'm trying to do a couple of things. Maybe this is helpful for you. First of all, I'm trying to take moments for what they are. In life, there's good moments. But there's also bad moments. And maybe right now you're walking through a really good season or a good moment. And we normally celebrate that and we laugh and we love those moments. But we also inevitably experience these moments that are not so good. And we mourn and we cry and we hope for those seasons to move quickly. I'm trying to take moments for what they are because I believe there's something to learn in each and every moment. And again, we often don't take the learning experiences in the good moments because we love it and we're celebrating and we don't even think about what there is to learn right now. And so we miss that sometimes. And then we often miss the bad moments because we hate it and we want it to pass and we think it's terrible and we want to get out of it that we don't pause to consider what am I supposed to be learning in this particular moment. So life is moving shockingly fast. I'm trying to take moments for what they are, the good ones and the bad ones with this understanding and realization that there is something to learn in each moment. And then I'm trying to enjoy my season of life. I've never been 46 before. I won't be 46 for very long because life moves shockingly fast. So I'm trying to enjoy the season of life that I'm in. It's never happened before, and I can't repeat it. And so the challenge, I think, for all of us is to be all in on our particular season because time, life, it's just shockingly fast. Here's the second thing I wish I was forced to listen to, and that is people will not always agree And you may not be able to fix it. And this is hard news for those of us who like to fix things and fix people. And we like agreeable environments. And if that's you, you will probably soon discover, if you haven't already, that that's just never going to happen. People don't always agree with me. And people will not always agree with you. People don't always agree with each other. And we have to get ready for that. And we have to prepare for that. And you have to let people be themselves and come to their own conclusions. And as I talk to people and as I counsel and as different people ask for different perspectives, I am now quick to let people come to their own conclusions. And sometimes they don't come to the same conclusions as me. And I'm getting very comfortable with that. Uh, People will not always agree. And you can't always fix it. What I've discovered in dealing with people is they're not necessarily always looking for what you know. They're looking for a relationship and they're looking for a friendship along the way. And I think that's what we can offer to people even when they do not agree with us. And I believe this should happen in the context of relationships. But as humans, we're not always going to agree. And we can't always fix that. And that's okay. And I'm getting very comfortable with that. 
Thirdly, uh, loving God does not equal an easy life. It just doesn't. And I would say that this is something that I always understood intellectually. That loving God does not equal an easy life. But I would say that there's always been a part of me that said, if I love God and if I follow him and if I'm compliant with his wishes, my life should at least be a little bit better. I've always hung on to that. That loving God and obeying him doesn't equal an easy life, but because I have God, my life should be at least a little bit better. And that's just not the case. And if we're not careful, that can begin to dominate our thinking and we're setting ourselves up for a disaster because we're ascribing to God what is not true or accurate. One of the most disturbing verses in Scripture for me is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. And I actually have a list of verses that I keep that bother me, that irritate me. You know, we all, we all love the verses that are fun, right, that are inspiring, and they, they bring hope into our lives, and we hang on to those verses during the dark days, and that's wonderful. We should do that. But there is a lot of Scripture that is dark and confusing, and doesn't always make sense. And so I kind of have a list of the verses that are disturbing. And I would encourage you in your own personal worship time, if you find something that bothers you, that pokes at you, that is just concerning to you, you don't understand it, or it's troublesome, write that down and continue to wrestle with that. I think that's what God wants us to do with his word. And so here's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. I think this is very disturbing. It says, yes. And everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I don't like that. I don't think that's great news. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's not a very inspiring verse on Labor Day weekend, is it? I'm glad I came to church to hear that if I'm living a godly life, I will suffer persecution. I just don't like this because one of the things that it indicates here is that if I am living a godly life, I will be suffering. And sometimes I look at my life and I would say it might be a bit too easy. And does that mean I'm not living godly? Should there be more persecution? Should there be more tension in my life? And I don't know the exact answer to that, but this is something that I'm wrestling with. But this verse bothers me because it indicates that loving God does not equal an easy life. It also does not mean that my life will even be a little bit better. See, loving God, embracing him and following Jesus, here's what it means. It means I have a purposeful life. And it means that I have a forever friend who will walk with me through everything that I experience, all of the successes, as well as all of the loss. So loving God, following him, doesn't mean an easy life or even a little bit better of a life. It means I have this life that now has purpose and meaning, and I have this forever friend who will always walk through life with me because I think we all understand that sooner or later, life turns upside down on us. It just has a way of doing that, and we never know when that will happen. You know, at some point, we will encounter pain. 
and discouragement and loss. And the road to peace often isn't painless. It's not. In the middle of that, God constantly calls out and says, in your doubt, in your down season, keep trusting. Keep trusting. Keep trusting. Even if you never know or understand the why. So I honestly wish an older follower of Christ at some point would have said, listen, you're going to need this because you probably assume that a life with God means it'll be a little bit better. It's not the case. Again, that's dangerous because we're ascribing to God something that he never promised. A life with God means I have purpose and somebody who will walk through everything with me who constantly calls on us to trust and follow him and to do it again and again and again. Loving God does not equal an easy life. Here's the fourth thing, and that is it's okay to not have an answer. That's okay. And this one's kind of hard for me because I'm in the answer business somewhat. People come to me and they want perspective on all kinds of different things, and I have to be an expert and provide an answer for seemingly everything from faith to social issues to money, to marriage, to kids, to emotions, to building churches, of all things, to you name it. I got to give answers for things. And, you know, sometimes you just don't know. But if you like to give answers, we'll fake it sometimes, won't we? And that's kind of a dangerous thing to do as well. Sometimes we just don't know. I would say often we just don't know. And I think this comes to our posture. Is our posture one of arrogance that says, you know what, even though I don't know, here's what you need to do, and here's the 10 steps that you need to take to fix this problem or to adjust, and if you do this, everything's going to work out okay. That's a posture of arrogance. Or do we take the posture of humility, where we lead with grace and say, I don't know, I don't know. But here's the deal. I'll walk through this with you. And maybe, I don't know, maybe together we'll be able to find an answer and a solution. Maybe. And again, in dealing with people, I have found people aren't always looking for answers. They're looking for a friendship. And I think as followers of Jesus, if we leaned into the friendship component, whether we can provide an answer or not, Ultimately, it doesn't matter. If we're offering friendship, we're going to be able to help people walk through what they face. But I'm getting comfortable with not always having an answer. Number five, the closer you get to Jesus, the further out of touch you become with the world. And I think this is becoming increasingly more evident in our modern world. And I would say this is of great concern to me. Uh, The closer we get to Jesus, the more out of touch we become, even with the people that may be very close to us. And how do we respond to this? What do we do? I would say my frustration right now is it seems like it's getting harder to actually stand up and say, you know, I follow Jesus and I just love him. 
And, and I want my life to point to him. That's getting really hard to do in culture. I would say to you, it's getting very hard to do within the church, even there. And that's alarming to me. Seems that Christianity in general is not viewed favorably, and I'd say a lot of that's our fault. Seems that Christianity anymore is known for what it's against instead of what it's for. And that's been a subtle change. That is troubling. And so if you declare to people that you love Jesus and you're trying to follow him, you're quickly labeled as someone who hates or someone who condemns or someone who judges. And we're known for what we're against instead of what we're for. And again, this is troubling And in the middle of all this, I think a lot of Christians have become very angry, very angry. And that's somewhat of the posture that they've taken in communicating with those who don't agree or see eye to eye with them. And I said this a couple of weeks ago, and I think it's worth repeating, that we need a lot less angry Christians. We just do. Again, let's lead with grace. Because here's some of the things that you find in Scripture regarding this. Isaiah 56, verse 1, says, This is what the Lord says. Be just and fair to all. Do what is right and good. Like This is the challenge for us as followers of Jesus in, in a world that doesn't really appreciate him or even know who he is anymore. Be just and fair. Do, do what is right. Do what is good. And I think the natural question there, well, what's good? Well, Micah 6.8 tells us, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's quite a list. And you don't see a lot of anger in there. You don't see a lot of charged emotion. That's against. Do what is right. Love mercy. Walk humbly. Then I love these words found in the New Testament. This is James chapter 1, a couple of verses here. It says, if you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. Some really strong words. As a follower of Jesus, if you can't control your tongue, your religion, your faith, it's, it's no good. It's not going to make a difference. And then verse 27 outlines pure and genuine religion. Here's what it is in the sight of God the Father. It means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. And so we have a tremendous outline in Scripture that the closer we get to Jesus, the more out of touch we're going to be with other people and with the world And there has to be a sense where we need to get comfortable with that and understand that and continue to do the things that Jesus has called us to do. We just got to get comfortable with that. Uh, People aren't always going to appreciate or understand our deep-held faith in the one who came and gave up his life for us. It will seem out of touch and old-fashioned. 
But yet when we lead with grace, and that's our posture, when we're just and fair to all, we do what is right and good. And what's good? Well, it's loving mercy. It's walking humbly with your God. It's controlling your tongue. It's caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. I think we're going to have a tremendous opportunity with the people around us, even if they don't believe what we believe, to look at us as genuine, real people, and it's going to open the door for some great faith conversations. But just know, the closer you get to Jesus, and by the way, that's not a bad thing to chase. I don't want to discourage anybody from doing that. I think everybody who has trusted in Jesus alone should be giving everything to the one who gave up his life for us. Let's not forget this incredible sacrifice and what he did for you. And for me, he's calling us into a deeper faith. Just know, as you take those steps, you're going to be out of touch with people. And we've got to get comfortable with that. And let's just keep doing the things that Jesus called us to do. And let's lead with grace. Well, number six, the last thing that I'll share with you of what I wish an older follower of Christ would have told me and forced me to listen to, and that is the more you know about God, the more it seems you don't know. And this is actually good. Again, I think I kind of assumed, even as someone training for ministry and wanting to give my life to the church, that the more you study and teach and the more you jump into Scripture and understand deep theological concepts, that you're going to get closer to God and you're going to know more about God. And eventually you know more and more and more. Not that you're ever going to exhaust that, but at some point, perhaps you're going to know quite a bit. Well, one of the things I've discovered is as you plunge the depths of what God has revealed to us, and keep in mind, there's a whole lot of stuff he hasn't. But as you plunge the depths of what he has revealed to us, it just seems like there's more and more that you don't know. And I would say there are some things we can know, but there's a lot that we will never know. And that's okay, because if we knew a lot about God, or if we knew everything about him, that would make God very small. Very small. And I don't want a small God. And I don't think you do either. And so the more we know about God, all of a sudden it seems like, the more we don't know. And that's a good thing because it gives us a thirst to say, well, what else is there? This verse right here, Ecclesiastes 11.5. Just as you cannot understand the path of the wind or the mystery of a tiny baby growing in its mother's womb, so you cannot understand the activity of God. Reminder here, who does all things. It's a great verse, isn't it? It just puts it all into perspective. You cannot understand the path of the wind. You know, people try to figure it out, but we make fun of those who attempt to and seem to get it wrong all the time. You you can't understand the path of the wind. And who can understand the mystery of a baby growing in its mother's womb? So you cannot understand the activity of God who does all things. I do believe we should walk through life with an overwhelming sense that God thinks in ways that I cannot understand. And this is a mystery that should drive us to worship. Keep in mind, worship is responding to the greatness of God. And so sometimes that mystery of not understanding God almost causes us to run from him. Let's not do that. 
Not a great choice. Not a great choice. Let's allow the mystery of God and what we don't understand about him and what we'll never know cause us to be overwhelmed and to run to him in response to his bigness and to his greatness. Those are the six things. So let's do this. I want to share some takeaways with you. And what I want to do with our takeaways today is something that I've never done before. And that is I want to break our church up into the different age groups that are represented here. And one of the things I love about Valley Point is it's not just one age group here. We have people who are young and we have people who are older and everything in between. And I think there's a lot of health to a church that has a variety of ages and generations worshiping together that makes us strong. And so I want to talk to the different age groups right now. And what I want to do is I want to give you a verse or two. And so, again, get ready to write down your verse or verses because this is what I want you to be chewing on throughout the week because you may not have, think about this, you may not have an older follower of Christ speaking truth into your life and saying, sit down, I'm going to force you to listen to this. You may not have that. But guess what we do have? We do have ancient mentors in Scripture who constantly speak to us. And so even though you may not have that human speaking to you that's alive, we do have these ancient mentors, and I want to speak to the different age groups and say, all right, I'm going to force you to listen to this. So let's move into our takeaways right now. And again, I want to encourage you to write down your verse or verses. And I will warn you, first hour, I had people come to me and say, I don't like the verse you gave me. And I said, too bad. Figure it out and let's have fun together. So let me begin with our students. This would be our middle school and high school students as well as our college age kids. So here's Ecclesiastes 12.1. Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. Honor him in your youth before you grow old and say, life is not pleasant anymore. I think that's a funny verse, right? Because this is what happens when we age. It's like, you know, life is hard and then you die. Well, (laughs) guess what, students? You don't think that way yet. You have excitement and energy, and again, you have so much life out in front of you. So my encouragement to you is don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. A lot of things are going to be thrown at you, already have been, and you're going to be thinking about big life choices and career and money, and often that begins to crowd your creator out of your life. I would encourage you, in the excitement of your youth, please don't forget about your creator and honor him in your youth before you get old and cranky and say, you know, life just isn't worth it, because that's what happens. And I will say this, as your pastor, for students and for parents and grandparents, I'm getting tired of students walking away from God. That has to stop. It has to stop. Otherwise, we really don't have a future. And so, students, I'm begging you, don't forget about your creator. And as you grow old, honor him above everything else. Uh, Nothing's more important. Not career, not money, not anything. It's, It's about honoring the one who has created us. And we've got to reverse this trend. And so, parents... 
and grandparents and mentors, boy, we got to get on this and help our students in the excitement of their youth honor their creator. All right, 20s to 30s. I got to give you a short verse because you're preoccupied with a lot of things. <laughs> so here's Proverbs 13, 20. It's simple. Here you go. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Clear path, right? It's a clear path. And I think the choice before our 20 to 30s is do you want to be wise or do you want to be a fool? You're going to be one or the other. So if you want to be wise, then get wise people around you. And if you don't have wise people around you, then move on and find them because you're going to need them. Uh, If you have foolish people around you, you're going to be a fool. And so clear path for our 20s to 30s as you're putting things together and establishing where you're headed and and what's going on with your life, walk with the wise. You'll become wise. If you don't, you'll become foolish. So clear path there. All right, 30s to 40s. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27 says, Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. Now, I will say, you might not like that verse because it doesn't seem very clear, but I would argue the opposite. It's very clear to this particular age group. And if you find yourself between 30 and 40, this age, this is where the pace really increases. Life just gets fast. And if you've got young kids, things are moving quickly. And so I would say to you, don't worship your job and your career. And don't worship your family. Worship God and God alone, and in the process of all of the busyness of your kids and your career growing and developing, don't withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power. So maybe for the first time in life, you have resources, and you have things that God is beginning to bless you with. If it's within your power, don't withhold good from those who deserve it, and don't get so busy with life that you stop observing those who need help. All right? 40s to 50s. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1. It says, Choose a good reputation over great riches, because being held in high esteem is better than silver or gold. This is a unique age. Often this is the height of the income earning years. And people begin to think about the winter season of life and how am I preparing with my 401k or 403b and my retirement portfolio and how is all of this stacking up and I need to achieve and I need to put things away. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that at all. Scripture talks about preparing for that time frame and we need to be wise in that. But I think the encouragement is choose a good reputation over all of that because being held in high esteem, it's a whole lot better than silver or gold. And what a shame it would be to have a lot of that stuff, to have all that and not have a good reputation. Uh, As followers of Christ, we have to chase that good reputation. So let's be held in high esteem over stuff. 50s to 60s. 
1 John chapter 2, a couple of verses for you. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. And that is how we know we are living in him. Verse 6, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Now, this might not seem as direct for you, but here's one of the things I love about those in their 50s to 60s. Uh, You're kind of over what people think about you. You just don't care anymore. I am who I am, and you either like me or you don't. And so I would encourage you, get crusty and obnoxious for God, all right? Because you're unconcerned of what people think about you. You have your beliefs and your opinions. And so obey God's word because it shows that you completely love him and you belong to him. And you know that you are living in him and for him when you live as Jesus did. So just get ornery for God because you're kind of unconcerned with what people think about you. And we need your boldness and your courage. People are looking to you. And so don't be afraid to live that way. Again, with grace, I'm being humorous, but with grace, don't be afraid to say, you know what, I live for Jesus, and you can take that or leave it, but this is what I'm doing. All right, let me close out with 60 plus, and I was actually told I should start with that group because they may not remember everything, so I don't know, but here you go, 60 plus, and I would say out of all these verses, I, I love this, I just love this, this is from Joshua. And I don't have time to set context, but here it is. Uh, Now, as you can see, this is Caleb speaking. The Lord has kept me alive and well as he promised for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise. Even while Israel wandered in the wilderness. Today, I am 85 years old. So there's the context. This is someone who's, who's up there in years. I'm 85 years old. And get this. I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey. And I can still travel and fight as well as what I could then. Let's pause there for a moment. I don't think that's true. (laughs) That's crazy, isn't it? I think Caleb's feeling robust and good about himself, and they're about to enter the promised land, and he's 85, and he's saying, you know what, I am strong as what I have ever been, and I can fight like never before. No, we can't. No, he can't, but he's feeling good about himself. And so 60 plus, feel good about where you are. By the way, the indication we get in Joshua is that Caleb knows he's not as strong as what he is because he actually hires younger men to fight for him in the coming chapter. So he's wise. He gets it. And if you're 60 plus, you've got a lot of years under your belt. You are wise. And so here's how this ends. Here's what Caleb said. Give me the hill country. Like, give me that hill that the Lord has promised to me. So 60 plus, uh, you've got a hill out there somewhere that God wants specifically for you. It's out there. And just determine that you have the strength and the ability, no matter how frail you may feel, or even if you sense that maybe there's other people that should be accomplishing some of the stuff I've given my time, Don't think that way. Because there's a hill for you. And you need to find that and take that with the strength that God has given to you. So I want to encourage everybody here. I want you to have a great week taking the verses that have been assigned to you 
and to your age group and chewing on them and saying, okay, God, here's what the mentors from Scripture are saying to me. Here's what I need to live this week. Because I think if our different age groups began to implement these different things that these authors have laid out for us, I think there is no telling how bright of a light Valley Point Church will be. And as difficult as it may be to stand up in our culture and to take a stand for Jesus, I think it will happen and God will use us where we work, where we live, and where we play to make a significant difference and to do all of that with grace. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you and it's been a fun Sunday just to reflect a little bit. God, we have a great season in front of us as a church. And it's good to pause a little bit and to consider what you want to say to these different age groups. God, we all fit into this. And there's even a lot of crossover. So I pray that you'd help us to take our verse or verses or a combination of these things and really think about them, to chew on them, to know you are calling us, you are calling your church, Valley Point Church, to do some very special things with this season in front of us. So help us to be prepared and ready to accomplish everything that you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We'd also love to have you join us on any Sunday morning as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 or 11 a.m.